We live in a world that has been cursed with thorns and thistles. The way to get food out of the earth is through toil and sweat. And writing is a job, just like any other, which means that curse applies to you, the author. This means that success in writing is going to require work. Hard work, sweat and tears kind of work. And just like with farming, you don't see results right away. After a day of plowing a field full of dirt, all you have is a field full of dirt. It's just slightly different dirt. And sometimes with my writing, I feel the same way. After a day's worth of writing, it's like it's still dirt. Being an author means that you have to work at the writing and the editing and the publishing and the marketing. Many authors burn out before they achieve success. This is the tragedy that happens. I think maybe this happens because people are expecting it to be fun. They want writing to be a vacation. Maybe they don't realize that it's a real job. But I think a lot of us approach it knowing that it's going to be a real job, and yet we burn out anyway. So what causes burnout? Why does it kill so many careers? And what can we do to avoid burnout? Or if we're feeling burned out, how do we recover? We'll find out in this episode of The Christian Publishing Show, the podcast for writers who want to honor God through excellent writing. I'm Thomas Umstead, Jr., your host, and today we have a special guest who is a stroke survivor, a writing coach, a host of the Keep Writing podcast, and the author of five books that encourage readers to hope against all hope. Nika Maples, welcome to The Christian Publishing Show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So we talk about burnout a lot. It's a common word in our vernacular. And yet I think a lot of people have different ideas of what burnout even is. So what would you define burnout as? Burnout is when a person doesn't want to do something anymore. That's the simplest answer. And when they have no energy, no interest, and no motivation to keep going. And when a person just thought it was going to look one way once they had their book published, and then it, now it looks a different way. It looks like the daily work of planting, plowing, and cultivating the field. Uh, and that's not exactly what people were expecting. So they just give up, give out, and they stop. I planted my crops. Why are there weeds? I wrote good words. Why are there all these typos? <laughs> Right. And so what causes somebody to give up where they're just like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore? I find that the number one thing that stops people from book marketing is they feel like they're forced to be someone that they're not. They don't feel comfortable in the area of book marketing. And nobody wants to keep on acting like someone that they're not. So the reason I think that they feel like someone they're not. It's just because they misunderstand what book marketing is. So they think of marketing as something that's miserable. And when they think marketing is miserable, then who wants to do it? They think selling is sleazy. And when you think selling is sleazy, then that's not who you are. That's not what you want to do. And the reason people think marketing is miserable and selling is sleazy is simply because they're assuming that the other person thinks they want to get something from them to get that book sale, to get that new reader or follower, to get money from the transaction. But I like to encourage people who are facing burnout to just reset their mind, 
We have to move away from thinking that marketing is miserable and think of it as marketing is ministry. And to stop thinking that selling is sleazy, think of selling as service. And it's a lot easier to engage with book marketing with a lot of enthusiasm and energy when you're trying to get a solution to your reader instead of trying to get something from your reader. It's important to believe in your book. If you, deep down, think that you selling somebody a book is them doing you a favor, then you're never going to be good at marketing. You're going to always feel bad about it because you're asking for these people to do you a favor by buying your book. If your book is good, if it's amazing, you're doing them a favor by selling like, this book will change your life and it's only 20 bucks. Why wouldn't you want to buy this book? And if you don't believe in your book like that, you need to keep working on your book until you do, right? You need to keep editing it. You need to keep improving your craft. Maybe you need to set that book aside and not publish it and write a different book just to get better so that when you finally have a book, you can't wait to tell people about it because you really believe in it that much. When you believe that your book is really a solution for people, that it will help them and serve them, then selling is not sleazy. Selling is serving them. It's getting a solution to your reader. And if you saw somebody who was in pain or who needed something, you would stop at nothing to help them. That's how you really have to feel about the book you've written. That's right. Now, the writing really is important. And this is, I think, especially true for fiction, right? For you to really believe in your novel, you have to believe that it's better than what else other people could be consuming, right? Maybe it's not hard to be better than Netflix, but there's some really good books out there. So what would you say to somebody who they're still working on the writing part and they're, they're, they can't even think about selling the book because they're working on their first manuscript and they're, they just got back some critiques and they're not as close as they thought they were. <laughs> they thought they were going to be publishing this year and now they see it's probably going to be next year because their book is, is not ready. Their craft is not ready. Uh, how would you advise that person when it comes to negotiating burnout? We've got to get rid of that idea that when an editor gives us feedback or constructive criticism or corrections, that that means we did something wrong. It actually means that we did something right because we gave it to somebody who could be another set of eyes to make sure that our book was professionally presented. But when you have the kind of feedback from beta readers or from other sources that are really saying that the message itself is unclear when there's developmental editing that needs to be done, I welcome that as well. It's not the fine-tuned polishing, it's the more important foundational polishing that needs to happen so that the readers get the best benefit from the solution that you're providing. Michael Jordan, at the top of his career, he's the best basketball player currently alive, had a coach. (laughs) And when his coach gave him feedback on things he was doing wrong or things that he could be doing better, it's the same idea, two ways of looking at it, his attitude was not, oh, I did this terrible thing. It's like, aha, a way to get even better. Because his goal was to keep getting better. And there's no limit to how good you can be, right? Records are made to be broken. You can always get better. And so don't see that feedback as a condemnation. But it can be discouraging 
if you if you're so excited, you're like, I'm going to have my book available to give my all my friends at Christmas. And now it's like, no, I need to spend some more time working on it. Right. This novel has got some structural problems. The characters aren't well flushed out. There's some retroactive continuity problems that are going to need a, a big rewrite. The thing to remember is that this is a job. <laughs> this is real work. And that first book takes a long time, especially in fiction. Nonfiction, there's some shortcuts. If you're doing a lot of speaking, if you're doing a lot of blogging, that blogging and that speaking can prepare you so you can kind of jump in sooner because you've been practicing the craft. But for writing fiction, really the only way to write fiction and get good at it is to write fiction because it's not very similar to much other kinds of writing. And so you just got to do the work and you need to respect the craft to not assume that in your first two years that you're going to be a master, right? It's like you, you can't become a master electrician in two years. What makes you think you can become a master writer in two years? It's, so people are realizing, okay, this is a long journey. I'm going to have to be at this for years. This isn't a journey of months. This is a journey of years. What are some habits that you would recommend to keep us from getting burned out? How do we pick a sustainable pace? Well, one of the questions I would ask is, what's the hurry? You know, I remember before my first book, I was really in a hurry. I just really wanted this to get out as soon as possible. And then I wanted to have results as soon as possible. But I would rather slow down and do things the right way and let go of the idea of a hurried pace in my writing career. And so I have the four steps that I have to recover after burnout follow the word mark because marketing is all about hitting the mark. So the M is measure in the right direction because a lot of times what we do as writers and as authors is to look forward and say, oh, I have so far to go instead of looking backwards and saying, I have come so far. So if I look back in my own life, five years ago, I didn't have a traditionally published book. And five years, that that's not that long ago to have my first experience with traditional publication. And it's so uplifting to me to take a look back instead of to look forward and say, I've got so long to go to reach these particular goals that I have. So I would encourage your readers to look in the right direction. But if they're going to start looking at the past, say, where was I two years ago? Where was I five years ago? They got to look for the right evidence because you can look in the past and say, I was still slaving away at the laptop 10 years ago. And they can look for the wrong evidence of how long you've been doing it. But when I look at that and I see how long I've been doing it, I've been doing this for over 20 years and I can make that mean that I haven't been making progress, or I can make that mean that I've been developing faithfulness, perseverance, and stick to So look for the right uh, evidence in the past. The A in the word mark is ask better questions, because most of the time we become discouraged when we ask ourselves a negative question. If we ask ourselves a negative question, we're going to get a negative answer. So when you ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? Your brain is going to offer lots of things that you're doing wrong. A more constructive and helpful question, a better question is, how can I communicate in a clear and compelling way? Because then your brain is going to offer you all kinds of options that are favorable, that are pleasant, that are actually helpful. You don't need an answer that tells you what you're doing wrong. You need an answer that will help you communicate better in a clear and compelling way. One of the questions I ask myself every day is, how can I find a beautiful solution for the problem I'm facing? 
what you're talking about asking questions is really important. And this is one of the things we have to learn as adults, that some of the things our teachers tell us aren't true. So, for instance, there's something that most of our teachers told us, which is there's no such thing as a stupid question, which is preposterous because questions can embed statements, right? I can ask you the question, when will you stop embezzling taxes from the government? When will you stop cheating on your taxes? That's a stupid question. Or it may be if, if you're not embezzling taxes, there's no good way for you to answer that because it, any kind of answer without rejecting the question as a stupid question accepts the premise of the question that you've been cheating on your taxes. And often we ask ourselves questions that are that kind of stupid question. And it has a built-in statement that we're a failure or that we're lazy or some other kind of untrue thing. And if you ask stupid questions, you get stupid answers. <laughs> and you mm-hmm. can put yourself in a position where there's no one to say, hey, that's a stupid question. That that question uh, has a statement embedded in it that's a false statement. And we need to right. acknowledge the truth and reject the lie. And I love the idea of, you know, what's a beautiful solution? Because inside of that question is the statement that beautiful solutions exist, right? right? Sometimes beautiful solutions don't exist, right? That's not always a good question. Sometimes we're in a situation where we've made so many bad decisions that we're now in a situation where there's only bad choices and worse choices. But if we make good decisions, we can be in a situation where we have good choices and better choices, right? We reap uh, what we sow. I'm glad you said you reap what you sow because that that's exactly what the R is in the word mark because I, I encourage my clients to rest on principle and that can be taken two different ways. So one way that you can rest on principle is just totally relying and depending upon the principles that God has put into place. Uh, there is a law of sowing and reaping. There is the law of the harvest. And Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says, God won't be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. And so don't become weary in doing good. For, for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. And so we think, oh, if we haven't seen the harvest yet, that it's not coming. And actually, there is a principle of sowing and reaping that you can rest on. You keep plowing, you keep planting, you keep cultivating, knowing that there is a law of the harvest and you'll reap one if you don't give up. But the the other aspect of resting on principle is that you rest on the principle of rest alone. So a lot of times, I think people when they're in a they get into book marketing burnout because they keep thinking more, 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 more. The social media algorithms are devouring all of their time and, and all of their attention. But actually, you need rest. So take a day when you don't post. Instead of having those default days where you don't post just because you don't feel like it, build in intentional rest on the principle of rest. Isaiah 30, 15 is my foundation for that one. God says in repentance and rest is your salvation. And I think a lot of times we want to be saved from the burden of book marketing. Well, our salvation is rest. Yeah, that God will not be mocked passage is a really scary passage, right? It's like, is that a threat? No, it's a promise. (laughs) You know, it's like, because what you reap, you will sow, right? That's not like, oh, well, you will reap the good things that you sow. It's like, no, you will reap what you sow. If you sow Mm -hmm. bad seed, you will reap bad seed. If you sow sparingly, 
you'll reap sparingly. That that's kind of passage to put the fear of God in you. It's it's also the kind of passage that you can put hope in, right? It can be very encouraging. Right? I can see somebody printing that out and putting it by their computer. And going back to the good seed and bad seed, right? As a professional book marketer, get off of social media. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. helping you. The algorithms now are totally broken. No authors building a platform on social media who doesn't already have a platform somewhere else. I was actually just looking at a statistical analysis of memoirs, traditionally published memoirs. And most of the traditionally published memoirs were not of social media influencers. In fact, only a tiny percentage were of people who got famous through social media. Almost everyone got famous some other way. And so if if you are buying into that lie that you have to put in the time on social media, that you have to have a certain number of followers in order to get published, it's just not true. Many of the authors who were published with memoirs by the big houses didn't have a social media following. One of them had 53 Twitter followers and still got a big advance from a big house. So don't buy into that lie. That is a toxic, toxic place And it comes at the expense of your writing. Many authors are spending a book or two a year's worth of time on social media. Mm. If you were to put that time into writing more books, you would get better faster and you'd have more books and you'd have more money and you'd be happier (laughs) because social media doesn't make you happy. Are you happier now than you were 10 years ago? Are you spending more time on social media now than you were 10 years ago? I'm guessing the answer is no, you're not happier. And yes, you are spending more time on social media. So flip those around. (laughs) Well, I think there's a, there's a balance to it because a lot of times social media can be such a great thing because you're getting the connection with people that you don't know, that cold traffic, places where you can ask people what they need and what they're looking for and what they want. So there is the danger of getting too focused on social media. And yes, I love it how you said um, that's a book, a book's worth of time and a book's worth of words that you put into captions that maybe go nowhere. But we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because I've had wonderful interactions with people who actually helped me write my next book because they told me what they needed. They told me what they were looking for. And my my expertise is nonfiction. And like you said, it's very, very different from what compels the fiction writer. But my connection with my audience is what keeps my books flowing. I just don't put a hyper focus on the numbers themselves. I did get my first traditional book published with 200 Instagram followers. I had 200 Instagram followers at the time and I had a two book contract from a publisher. And so you're right. We don't have to put all of our eggs in that basket. I'm just, I'm going to load up all the idioms today and all, (laughs) all the cliches, but we don't want to put all our eggs in one basket. But at the same time, we want to see it for what it is. It's actually a place to interact in the same way that you would interact with somebody after a speaking engagement when you speak and somebody comes up to your book table and you want to shake their hand and greet them and and connect, that's the level of what you're doing on social media. You're not deciding that this is your only path to success. It's definitely a better place to listen than it is to talk. And having one-on-one interactions is better than one-to-many 
interactions. If you want to have a one-to-many interaction, really social media is not the better place to do that. You could spend that same amount of time hosting an office hours, right? Where you answer questions and do a a webinar, right? One hour's worth of office hours is going to be a much more meaningful interaction than an hour's worth of commenting on people's posts on social media. So I'm just not convinced social media is the best of the options at any given point. You can get a better return (laughs) on your time. But I do realize that a lot of authors still use social media. And I am curious what the K is in Mark. Okay, so the K in hitting the mark is to keep service at the center. Because what leads to burnout really with a book marketer is looking at themselves constantly. I've been there. I've done that for a lot of years is just looked at myself and worried about where I was in the process. But the truth is that you get a lot, you, you see a lot more of what's available to you when you look into windows and not mirrors. So when you keep service at the center of what you're doing, and even the fiction writer is serving a reader, you're providing an escape from reality and you're providing entertainment. So what solution, what are you offering and serving your reader? When you do that, then you've kept service at the center instead of kept your own address at the center of your marketing. And when that shifts, it just changes everything. You do what you're explaining, that you find the way that you can connect with your reader, whether it be the webinar or the office hours. You're looking for ways to make those connections when you're focusing on what they need instead of what you need. And so that is the thing that kind of lifts you because a lot of times that's when you hear your testimonials and you realize, oh, wow, that did make a difference. I have new clients come to me all the time and what they say, I mean, almost all of them say when they first talk about, I would like to write a book, I need help writing a book. They say, if only one person read this, it would be worth it. And I understand that feeling. But then after the book's written and published, and then if only one person reads it, (laughs) they're actually disappointed. So, you know, we don't really mean that when we say if only one person reads it and it helps one person, it would be worth it. We don't really mean that. We want a lot of people to experience what we've taken the time to write. Because if a lot of people aren't impacted, then why are you taking the time to write it? It takes a long time and your your time is valuable. So you'd only want to do it if it really were going to help and have the most impact. And what's fun about nonfiction is that you can start to minister to people and to bless people right now. You don't have to wait for your book to come out for your ministry to start. In fact, that's not going to work. <laughs> the book is the culmination of a ministry. So often it's the culmination of a lifetime's right. worth of ministry. It's not what starts the ministry. You have to be faithful with the little things before you're given more. As Jesus said, until you're faithful with that which is another man's, who will give you that which is your own, right? Like that's a another scary passage because <laughs> it's yeah, like, it gosh, who's, whose things have I been faithful with? How have I carried the bags for somebody else before mm. I, you know, you got to be Elisha. Before you can be Elisha, right? Like Elisha was the servant of Elijah, the guy carrying the bags and being the assistant. And then he became Elisha, you know, the most powerful prophet doing the biggest, baddest miracles. But first he was faithful with that, which was another man's. And a lot of authors really struggle 
and not seeing any results because they're trying to skip all of those being faithful with the little things. They're trying to jump straight to writing a novel when they never wrote a short story. They're trying to jump straight to writing a nonfiction book when they've never written a blog post or they've never written a newspaper article. It's like, write a newspaper article or a magazine article. Work with an editor for a thousand words. Mm -hmm. If if you can't do that for a thousand words, you're not going to be able to do it for a thousand pages. (laughs) And you have to be faithful in the little things. And I encourage you not to despise the day of small beginnings. Mm-hmm. I love that verse. And I wish I had references for these verses. I'm not, bad, I'm not good about remembering references. I want to say it's Zechariah 4.11. Yeah. Uh, a smoldering wick he will not extinguish, right? Like, if, if you've got a small beginning, that's something to work with, right? You have as two fish and five mm-hmm. loaves. That's, that's all God needs to make a big miracle, right? You just bring what you have, and you be faithful to do what he's called you to do. And don't wait for some agent to say, oh, yes, your book is worthy, to start ministering to people. If you've been called to minister to people by the God of all the world, then you had better minister to people. <laughs> Don't let some agent stop you from being obedient to God. If, that is, that's really toxic. That's really scary because you're now inserting some literary agent or some publisher into a position higher than God, which is making them your God. And, and as a former literary agent, I can tell you, we make for terrible gods. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good point. One thing I always say is that obedience is our territory and the outcome is God's territory. But we get that mixed up a lot. And we're we're wanting God to obey our requests and God to obey our expectations. And we want to control the outcome. We want to know that these certain behaviors, these certain actions will lead to a very predictable outcome. That's the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. We do the planting part. So we stay in the territory of obedience where we belong and we leave the outcome up to him. And you're exactly right that uh, people a lot of times just outsource that to, oh, I'm going to see if an agent says that I'm okay and that this is what it should be. And you're right. That's um, transferring your allegiance to someone else's voice and believing what they say instead of believing what God has said, which is, you know, you have a story to tell. You have a message to, to, to share with the world. I do know authors who God tells them to write a book, but he doesn't tell them to publish a book. Sometimes God is calling you to walk this journey because he's wanting to do a work in you. The act of writing the book, and I, I see this a lot uh, for people who are working through a trauma. The act of writing a book about the trauma really helps them work through the trauma. And the book accomplished its goal just in being written. And it doesn't need to be published for it to do the work that God meant for it to do. And so be careful not to put words into God's mouth, right? It's like, well, obviously, if he called me to write the book, he also called me to publish it. Maybe. Maybe he called you to write this book, and now he wants you to write another book, and he wants that first book to stay on the shelf. Maybe he does want you to publish it, right? You need to, this is, this isn't something to assume. One does not necessarily follow the other. You need to be careful to hear what he's actually telling you and not, um, imagine that he's telling you exactly what you want him to say, right? Because this is a temptation we can fall in. Uh, God seems to always encourage our desires, right? Whatever we want is what God wants, right? It's like, I don't know if you're really listening to God. Uh, maybe, right? It's not my place to say, but it is my place to warn. <laughs> it's like, hey, right. you know, this is a, something to be taken in fear and trembling. This is something to be taken carefully. And in submission to your community. Right now, an author 
in my church is launching a book and my church is behind him. He got to do a special announcement last Sunday and I went and I looked on Amazon. There's only one copy left in stock on Amazon and they're doing a big book launch party at the church forum. And it's like, that is somebody who's submitted to their authorities and, and God is blessing him. <laughs> Just the church has become this big marketing engine for him. And and as on the other side, if your pastor's like, I don't, I don't agree with the doctrine of this book, you need to listen to that. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that he's right and that you're wrong, but it's not something to disregard. Right. Because writing in community that I will say the authors that tend to be successful in selling a lot of books are the authors who adhere more closely to orthodox theology, kind of standard theology. If you've got some weird doctrine that no one's heard before and you want to share your strange new doctrine, you're going to find that that is a very difficult book to sell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, for somebody who's already feeling burnt out with their marketing and they're hearing more things that they need to do and there's like, am I doomed? Like, what's the next step for somebody who's feeling that way? Mm. Yeah, I hope they don't hear a message of more, more, more in what we've been talking about. We've been actually just giving them a new way of thinking about the things that they're already doing, because that's the only real shift that needs to happen. You don't have to do more, more, more things. It's just more in the way of thinking in a more abundant way. So to re-energize your book marketing, just relax realize that it's not about the things you do. It's about the way you think about the the things you do. And you're thinking of it as really serving somebody that you can't wait to give them an option that you've provided. That's going to change everything for you. I mean, in some ways, the results are connected with the things you do. If you're doing foolish things that are exhausting, you're not going to be seeing results. But if you're doing strategic things that are effective, Mm. you are going to see Mm. results. And one of the best ways to overcome burnout is to see results. (laughs) So it's not just about changing your thinking. You have to change your doing, (laughs) right? Like winning is really encouraging, right? A team that's just won a game, they're ready to go do the next game right away, right? They may be physically tired, but they're psychologically fired up. And so having those wins and, and doing the things that are needed wins. Because like what we were talking about earlier, right? You reap what you sow. That's a, that's an, Mm -hmm. sowing is an act. (laughs) It is a doing deed. We do deeds that change the world around us. So the thinking in some ways only matters if it actually affects the doing. Otherwise it just exists in our head and it's not real. One of my favorite quotes is from a salesperson named Grant Cardone. And he says, you don't work because you don't think it will work. And I, I see that in myself every day. The days that I don't take action, it's because I don't think the taking of the action will make a difference. And so in that way, I'm not saying that uh, not doing anything or not, not having a strategy and taking action is fine as long as you're thinking good thoughts. I believe that the thinking of good thoughts is what produces the action to begin with. So thinking, oh, this is never going to work, and then taking some kind of marketing action. That's true. It's not going to work. So coming from a place of positivity makes a big difference. Because the word burnout is a new word. It was only invented in the 1970s. So if you want to read what the ancients had to say about burnout, you have to know what the old words were. And the old words were things like 
discouragement or hopelessness, right? If somebody's feeling hopeless, if somebody is feeling discouraged, they're not going to act, right? And right. Uh, the, the church that I go to is called Hope Chapel. And I, I've always loved the name of that because hope is such a powerful motivation, right? That the hope in the midst of darkness can change everything. That's one of the things I love about the Lord of the Rings is that it's a story of hope, right? They're constantly in these really dark moments, but they do the right thing anyway. <laughs> even when all hope is lost, they're like, <laughs> you know, at even a glimmer of a chance, the Rohirrim will will ride out, right? And even a glimmer of a chance, Sam will take up the ring. And these are these are powerful stories, and they're encouraging stories. And so, I, I think you're right in that our thinking, if we if we focus on what our hope is, and if we have hope, right? Because there's a vague like eternal hope that may not help me right now work on chapter three that's still busted and I just can't seem to get it to work, right? So, the general hope, we also need specific hope. We need hope that chapter three can be fixed or that the mm-hmm. book can survive without chapter three. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe it's broken because it's not fixable, right? Sometimes a horse is dead, right? And, and you can't fix it. And sometimes burnout is an indication that what you're doing is not working. And, and instead mm-hmm. of continuing to do the broken thing, you got to do the different thing and, and listen. It's like, oh, maybe if we use a wheel, it'll be easier to carry all these heavy things over this long distance. Right? Mm-hmm. Maybe carrying it on our back is unnecessary work for no benefit. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I think another thing that helps with discouragement and also with burnout is knowing our why. Right, the why behind your writing, right? The the people that you're benefiting, but also the money that you make. I was listening to an interview of somebody who was working. Uh, it was on the World This Week, the Christian news podcast, and they uh, do these little history vignettes from time to time. And they're interviewing somebody who worked in the Birmingham, Alabama iron foundry. This is a bad job. <laughs> Birmingham, Alabama is hot on a normal day, but an iron factory is there's this blast furnace that apparently ran for 80 years without ever being turned off that made the building so hot that the safety rails on the stairs, you couldn't touch them without being burned. Okay, this was a rough job. And they're interviewing some of the people who worked in this furnace. And one of the guys is like, I didn't consider it labor because I had a baby to feed. (laughs) His why was that he had to pay pay for his family. And I will say as a dad, it's really changed my relationship with burnout. Uh, where it's like, no, I got to do the work. I've got to win the bread. I've got three little babies that have to be fed. <laughs> I have a beautiful wife that needs to be provided for. And it sometimes causes me to make changes, right? I'm doing too many stuff and I'm not around enough. I'm tired. And I'm not making enough money. I've got to make changes. I've got to prune. But it doesn't cause me to give up altogether <laughs> because I'm like, right. I can't afford to, right? Uh, in, in the book, Wheel of Time, the, the borderlanders have the saying that death is lighter than a feather and duty is heavier than a mountain, right? You feel that as, as a, as a provider, that duty, and it, that can push out burnout, right? It's like, doesn't matter, right? It's like, there's little hope. Doesn't matter. You gotta do it. You gotta win the bread. You gotta make the money. You gotta provide for your family. We have a responsibility to bring good things to read to people who need it. Who, need that nonfiction solution or need that fiction entertainment. I mean, we're, we're giving to mankind in that way. And God wouldn't have asked us to do it if he hadn't known there was a reason for it. It improves our lives, even if those books are never published, just like what you said. Sometimes it's part of a process of healing. And so it's approving somebody's life, whether 
we are that person or the reader is that person. And that's a that's an important thing to remember because when we think, oh, if only one person's life would be changed, if I write this book, it would be worth it. Well, sometimes the one person is you and then it's worth it. If your life is the one life that has changed from the effort of writing a book, then it's worth it. Doing good, the desire to do good and implementing it is important. And it may be that this is the place where you do good. It may be that somewhere else is the place where you do good. If your goal is just to change one life, consider joining the children's ministry at your church. They need workers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? that's true. Like they're desperate for Sunday school teachers. Pretty much every church is desperate for Sunday school teachers. You know, it's mm. not going to pay. It doesn't have glory, but it will change one life. It may change quite a few lives, right? A lot of people can remember the Sunday school teachers that they had years later that made a big impact. I still remember some of the Sunday school teachers I had, especially the ones who really got into the scripture and, and opened it up and helped me understand passages that had never made sense before. It's really powerful. Mm-hmm. And this was as a kid. And sometimes authors are called to write a book so that they can learn how to write a book so they can help other authors write books. Mm-hmm. Some people are called to be Frodo carrying the ring, and some people are Sam, who's carrying Frodo, who's carrying the ring, right? Some people are Paul, some people are Barnabas. And it may be that you're Elisha and your time is coming where you're going to be Elijah in the future, but it may be not, right? Sometimes you're Luke, right? You're never more than a physician. I mean, he did go on to write a book about it, kind of, (laughs) kind of well known, but, but you don't see instances of Luke standing up and giving some great sermon and all these people repenting, right? The, the impression I get reading Luke and Acts is that he's very much in the background, right? He's, he's tending to Paul's needs as a physician. He's not the one getting up and giving the sermons. And that's, that's important, right? There's different roles for the body. And sometimes when bad things happen, it's because we did bad things. Sometimes when bad things happen, it's because other people did bad things. Sometimes when bad things happen, it's just because the world is cursed and bad things happen. But sometimes when bad things happen, it's because God's trying to get our attention, right? If you're finding yourself that you're the prodigal son and you're eating pig slop, it's like maybe that discouragement will cause you to go back home (laughs) and stop eating pig Mm. slop, right? If you're in the pig pen eating pig slop, I don't want to encourage you to, you know, just try harder, Tend the pigs better and you can get better slop. It's like, no, you need to give up. You're doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And and you need to listen <laughs> and you need to go home. You need to repent and, and get back where yeah, you're supposed to be. And it may be that it's not writing books. Not everyone's called to write a book. And everyone who's called, not all and not everyone's called to publish. It, it may be that the way that you serve the kingdom is somewhere else in industry. And I'll say, that's kind of what happened with me. <laughs> I'm, you don't see me writing and publishing lots of books. I'm here serving the authors who are doing it. And doing a very good job of it, I would say. Well, that, that's nice of you to say. I, I try to do better. I'm realizing that this job is just as complicated <laughs> as writing the book. So doing, <laughs> doing the podcasting and the courses, it's it's very similar. And it, it we're not all mouths. We're not all eyes. So we are all loved by God. And he does have a place for us in his body. Mm-hmm. So Nika, where can people find out more about you? Well, I'm Nika Maples, N-I-K-A, and then Maples like the trees, pretty much anywhere on social media. And then also, if people would like encouragement from me on a regular basis, I found that just getting one quick text each week is one of the ways that I can help writers who are looking to get 
past burnout and to feel that regular encouragement. So I have a, a program that I call Truth Texts for Writers, and you it's free. I just send one text a week that has a biblically-based blessing that you can read over yourself in your writing life to remember who you are and remember what's possible for you in Christ. Any of your listeners would be able to sign up for Truth Texts for Writers by going to nikamaples.com forward slash truth texts. And uh, real quickly, tell us about your Keep Writing podcast. Mm. So um, my, my podcast is for Christian coaches, speakers, and influencers who are ready to write their first book. Um, maybe they've been teaching a Bible class for a while. I have people who have come to me and they've been faithfully teaching a Bible class in their church for years, but they just would like to be able to package their content in a way that somebody could take it home and read it, even if they aren't going to their church. So uh, I help Christian coaches, speakers, and influencers write their nonfiction book in 90 days. And we'll have links to the Keep Writing podcast, the Truth Text for Writers, and Nika Maples in the show notes. Uh, any last-minute words of encouragement or advice? Hmm, I would just go back to Galatians 6, 9. And don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. That one verse is a biblically-based blessing that I speak out loud over myself regularly because any of us in any stage in this, this career can face discouragement, but to remember that we aren't in charge of the timing. God is the one who knows the proper time, and He knows what the outcome is. We don't. We don't have. That's not our territory. But we stay in the territory of obedience, and He's faithful to bring the outcome at the right time. Amen. Do what you can do, and trust God with the rest. <laughs> Nika Maples, thank you so much for joining us today on the Christian Publishing Show. Thank you, Thomas. I've loved it. Thank you so much. Our featured patron today is Bernadette Botts, author of The Mamas, Motherhood Not Required, short stories to inspire deeper friendships. Four homeschooling moms are dying of loneliness, fear of Christian women, the competitiveness of homeschoolers, and sin. Yes, sin. In a desperate and risky move, they agreed to start meeting once a week to pray on their knees. Starting out as strangers, these women build deep and lasting friendships that see them through the good, bad, and ugly of parenting. Bernadette Botts, thank you so much for being a patron of the Christian Publishing Show. Thank you for keeping this podcast on the air. I really appreciate your support and all of the other patrons that help keep this podcast on the air. If you would like to hear your book featured on the Christian Publishing Show, you can find out more about becoming a patron at christianpublishingshow.com. The Christian Publishing Show is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt. The blog post is by Shauna Lettler. The producer is Lori Christine. Our guest was Nika Maples. And I am Thomas Umstadt Jr., your host. To find the blog version of this episode, visit christianpublishingshow.com. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.